It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Trax Power Sports. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Hour number two, and the final one for another week here of KSL Outdoors Radio. Just a reminder, we're recording this on Thursday for your enjoyment here, as live as we like to say in the business on uh, Saturday morning. And I hope you've got plans to go celebrate mom. Uh, if mom is still in your life, uh, lost mine a couple of years ago, and uh, I know you've both been through it, Navi and uh, Russ. Uh, mom never goes away, you know? No. Always a part of your life, for sure. So if you've got the chance to have her sitting in a chair and uh, have a piece of cake or pie or have dinner, celebrate it, uh, because one day you won't be able to. I I don't throw that out there as a sorrowful uh, note. No, it's just a fact. It's just a fact. Yeah. Um, nice to have my buddies back with me this week. Russ Smith is uh, back from his road trip in uh, the RV. Sounds like it all worked I, well. I think it's good to be back. Yeah? yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you both that question. You, you, you were away for how many days, Russ? Well, it was a little more than three weeks, I think. Something like yeah, that. and uh, Navi, you were gone three weeks plus, I think. Yeah, well, 20-some days, yeah. But yeah. Doesn't it still feel good to come back and sleep in your own oh, bed? Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could catch up on the TV. I mean... You got it's a lot of DVR. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if you avoided scores and you had a favorite team you were watching, you could uh, watch a lot of games. Just yeah. binge watch for an afternoon. You know what? Uh, RSL went to Apple, and it ruined it for me because I always watch them on the DVR, and now oh, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, coming up in this hour, we'll go road tripping with Bob and Mark. At least I think we'll go road tripping. I haven't heard from them yet, and maybe they never came back from their trip to Canab. Uh, but we'll look forward to that. Roger Eggett from Bear River Lodge will also join us, and uh, we'll finish out the program at the top of the hour and then turn it over to uh, the uh, Greenhouse Show for another week. All right, I want to uh, get um, uh, Darren Dubois on, on the air with us here. He's a game mammals, mammals coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources. And I don't know, Darren, is it just me, or have we had more encounters recently with cougars? It sure seems that way. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Nice to have you. And surprise me in some areas. We had one in our neighborhood, and we live right out by Copper Hills High School. This was uh, mm-hmm. a year or two ago. But there was a cougar in our neighborhood, and we're not butted up against any hillside. There is, you know, some land, open land to the east, no, the west of us, but not much anymore. How do they actually get that far into civilization? There's a couple couple ways they they can find themselves there i think one trend we've seen lately is more and more deer in these urban areas and and so you know lions will follow deer that's their primary prey source we also you know our models are showing that at least a couple of years ago we were we had more cougars than we've had for quite some time and so there, there's a function of just the number of animals that we have in the state and that that that's directly related to the the deer herd that grew up until we started to get some drought years a few years. But the predator numbers always lag. 
Yeah. So it could be both of those things. So you got young ones dispersing off those populations that are growing, and they wind up in places where you wouldn't really want them to be. Are, has that prompted, and I should know this, and but we have so many of these stories roll through. I never know if it's proposed changes or actual changes or when they've been approved. Has it changed the number of permits because of the population? Yeah, um, primarily what's driving the, the recent changes the legislature passed, which, which allows people now to hunt cougars if they've got a hunting or, or combination license, um, is mainly their concern about deer numbers. And a lot of our you know, with this heavy winter we just had, especially in the northern part of the state, we, we lost a lot of deer, a lot of young deer especially, but even adults. And then the drought that preceded it, we've just seen some seen our deer numbers decline. And so I think that was the primary driver is, is a concern about letting those those deer populations come back. And in some some instances, cougars can have an impact if there's, if there's especially if they're taking adult deer. Yeah. And boy, then they're at risk. I mean, if they have stocked uh, a deer into civilization down into some neighborhood, and then uh, even if they take the deer, then they have to find their way back out without getting, you know, caught by right. wildlife officials or in trouble in a uh, an incident with a car or something or a truck. Uh, right. Navi, Navi, you've been on a lot of bike rides up in the mountains. Uh, Becky used to ride all the time up uh, Immigration Canyon and up around the Capitol building. This is way back before we got together. She's sure, and actually there were reports of cougars that probably were just walking alongside while she was riding her bike and never really thought twice about it. Well, you know, everybody asked me, we got more cougars. So I tell you what we more have is is cams, uh, those trail cams. And so you got to think that, you know, the neighbor's dog just was missing all of a sudden. <laughs> Back in the day, I think the cougars were just as many and just as plentiful in our, you know, urban settings we just didn't know about them as much as we do now it's probably goes without saying though darren doesn't it that uh any of us that spend a significant time and maybe it's just a hike or maybe it's a jog or maybe it's that bike ride i was talking about you probably had one watching you and you had no idea yeah for sure I mean, we've uh one of the things we've been doing with utah state in a study we you know we go in and visit uh we call her kittens so you go into a den and call her the kittens and you can see where the collared mom is. You can't see her, but you can see she's just hanging right out of vision. And so that's certainly the case. They can kind of hang and you just don't know it. And I think a lot of people have had close encounters, quote unquote, and never realized it. Yeah. Russ, I know you probably remember this. And Navi, a couple of years ago, and I know, Darren, you've seen it, uh, this video that went viral of a guy who was hiking and uh, Mama Cat came uh, snarling and hissing and chasing. And he turned around, the, the guy, the jogger, turned around and stood big and then kept kept talking to the cat and then would make a little move toward the cat and the cat would back up. And as soon as he turned his back, the cat would keep coming. I mean, my heart was uh, beating 9,000 beats a minute, Darren, just watching the video. Yeah, yeah, that guy pretty much did everything right. The only thing that I suggest to people is probably not – filming it is a priority <laughs> yeah you might want both hands free yeah but other than that yeah he, he made himself big i think that that encounter broke off with him picking up a rock and right tossing it at her but yeah she definitely was protecting those kittens you saw it see him right at the beginning of the video how important is it to maintain eye contact it's important to face off um you know you want to I, I would say just be as, as aggressive as you need to be to to, to keep them from coming after you but um don't turn around and don't don't run that that's something that may trigger a an attack 
Well, the, so, other, the yeah, other thing is if, if you're out with a pet, you know, a dog, for instance, that hopefully you've got on a leash because the dog uh, won't know any better. But kids right. in particular are much smaller than you are, obviously. Those are going to become the attention of the cat real quick. Yeah, small kids, it's a good idea to pick them up. Again, going back to having your hands free, you know, you need to be able to do what you need to be able to do. Um, larger kids, I'd, I'd put them kind of behind me, and I'd be the, in between them and the animal. What if you've got a neighborhood that has had some encounters? Uh, what can we do around the house to protect our animals? Um, you know, bring if you've got a lot of people now are into chickens. You know, if you can, you can kind of bomb-proof your chicken coop. Make sure those those chickens are in at night and things aren't going to get in there. That that's a lot of times what they're doing. You know, in town, they're looking for something to eat, and, and uh, cougars are meat obligates. They they've got to eat meat. They can't survive on anything else really. So. You know, don't leave stuff out for them to eat. They won't scavenge a lot of things. But um, and then, yeah, just just make sure that they don't have a food source and bring pets in at night. I I, I think that'd be a good idea as well. Yeah, with these ring cameras everybody has on their on their porches these right. days, they're seeing things that they never would have known were going on in their neighborhood, which is sometimes a good <laughs> thing. But uh, here's what it's prompted my wife to do. That is to put the cover on the doggy door so that even if the dogs get up in the middle of the night to go do their duty, they can't get out because she is scared to yeah. death. Yeah. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, I, that, that just... Again, cougars are, are going to be active at night, or, you know, at dusk through through night and in the morning, and that's that's the time that, that you know they will take pets. They've been known to do that. And yeah. So. All right. Um, I'm sure you've got a place online. Maybe it's just the division site, wildlife.utah.gov, where people can get some more information. Right. That and the Wild Aware Utah are some good good uh, sources for info. Can they just Google search Wild Aware Utah? Wild Aware Utah. Uh, yep, uh-huh. and they'll have they have information on bears, cougars, and, and several other animals as well. Yeah. All right, Darren, you do a great job. Thanks for your few minutes here with sure us thing. this morning. Sure thing. Darren Bois is the uh, Game Mammals Coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources. We've got to take a break. We'll see if we can contact the boys and do a little road tripping when we come back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor... You'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back. It is time for us to do a little road tripping today. And actually, we're going on a hunt for the Gila Monsters. Gila. On the road again. Just can't wait. <laughs> we're having a little fun with that today. Uh, Russ is uh, still here with me. Navi stepped away. Uh, but you ever seen a Gila Monster in the wild in Utah? 
Not in Utah. Probably no. down in California in the Mojave. They can be scary looking, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I probably haven't seen them. I think I would remember that. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you happen onto one. Um, I think Bob Grove is probably on one of his tours. Mark, is that right? I, he let me know he may be tied up in uh, Arches National Park, which sounds like real tough duty. Yeah, the poor guy. We all feel <laughs> sorry for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, but, he's out on a five day tour with a uh, with a good group of people from somewhere back east, I think. And he, of course, he's an expert on that area. Yeah. And so, so today we thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, kind of the the whole desert southwest is in bloom right now. In some areas, you got these super blooms of flowers, and and right now, St. George. I texted a friend today. The cactus are still in bloom in St. George area. That's the lowest area of the state of Utah. And uh, a lot of desert areas around the state of Utah are going to be in bloom. But we thought we'd uh, talk a little bit about that area in particular. Yeah, that's one of the side benefits of all this precipitation. We talked at the top of the show about the fact that uh, Lake Powell's coming up a foot a day. That's a lot of water. Yeah. Uh, And the Great Salt Lake here on the north end of the state is up four and a half, maybe even five feet by the time this is. Uh, conversation is heard on the radio. You wanted to introduce us, though, to somebody that's led you on the search for uh, not just the Gila monster, but the desert tortoises. So do that for us. Well, with us just for a minute here today is Aaron Luke Madsen. He is a student at Utah Tech University studying biology, uh, desert wildlife or uh, wildlife biology. He's also a wildlife photographer. And because of that, Bob and I connected with him a couple months ago, and we went out Twice now we've gone out trying to, to spot Gila monsters, but they're only out at a certain time of year. We've been unsuccessful so far, but we have found some desert tortoises, mostly because of Aaron. He's just got the eagle eye. Mm-hmm. And welcome to the, the show today, Aaron. Thank you, Mark, and it's great to be on. I said before we jumped on, uh, Aaron, that people, I'm guessing, would be surprised to find out we even have Gila monsters. And so... Tell people where they uh, actually exist in the state. And then Mark touched on something that made me curious. If they're only out part of the year, where are they the rest of the year? That's a great question. So the reason that St. George is an interesting and unique area within the state of Utah is it actually lies in the northeasternmost reach of the Mojave Desert, which is primarily located in southern Nevada and southern California, as well as part of Arizona. But it just barely touches up into Utah down here in the southwest corner, and that provides a really unique opportunity here to find wildlife that you can't find in the rest of the state, such as Gila monsters and desert tortoises. Uh, The Gila monster in particular, it's funny you ask that, they are very elusive because they spend really about 95% plus of the entire year underground in rocky shelters. Uh, The remaining part of the year, which is only about 65 hours out of the entire year are they above ground and during that time they're foraging and basking uh, primarily they they forage and eat uh, small baby mammals like squirrels as well as eggs of birds and other reptiles like snakes and tortoises the that's one reason the desert tortoise is also an important species kind of a bellwether species here uh, is because like the heel monster, many other animals like ravens uh, prey on baby tortoises, uh, coyotes, foxes, everything kind of survives off of them. So it's it's really important that when people see the tortoises, they, you know, enjoy them. Yeah. And But but to keep their distance because they, they can void their bladder if they're scared. And, and then 
they'll be dehydrated and may not be able to rehydrate. In well, time, so. if a Gila monster snuck on my, uh, up on me, I might void my bladder, too, uh, just, <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. Uh, do, do, we have, do we have any idea what the population of Gila monsters are in the state? So in the 80s and before, when the studies really became intense, especially with um, Dr. Daniel Beck, who now works at um, Central Washington University, he's a friend of mine, he was the primary expert and still is on Gila monsters. Back then, there were estimates of at least several thousand in the state of Utah. Now it's likely under the 500 mark at mm. the very most due to um, habitat loss development. So it's not surprising when people run into them in developed areas now. No. However, they're not they're not really a big danger to humans. Um, only one person has ever been killed uh, reportedly, and it was an intoxicated pool hall attendant in the 1930s. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I'm looking. Uh, I think Mark mentioned that you're a photographer as well, so I'm on your Instagram and I'm following you now, just so you know. But okay. uh, uh, the the pictures are awesome. I I see lots of pictures of all kinds of wildlife. No Gila monster. Does that mean you haven't come on one with your camera in hand? No, so I actually grew up in northern Utah in Salt Lake City and Midway up by Heber in the Heber Valley. Um, I've lived here for about a year and a half. So last spring, I was busy with school and until the end of or the beginning of May. So I didn't end up finding one. They're primarily active at the end of April and the beginning of May. Um, So this year, I'm I'm putting in a good effort to find one. Uh, I've been. Uh, this weekend is going to be really the start of my intense search, so hopefully I'll come across one. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, it's, it's great to spend a few minutes just to get to know you and learn a little bit about that. Uh, Mark, thanks for connecting us. Tell people where to find you on Instagram with your photographs. Yeah, it's Aaron Luke Wildlife at Aaron Luke Wildlife, A-A-R-O-N-L-U-K-E. W-I-L-D-L-I-F-E on Instagram. There's some great shots there, too. Thanks again for your time today. And, uh, Mark, I'm going to ask you, can you hang on for one more segment with you? I wanted to talk about water safety right now, if you've got a minute. I'm available, and I'll be ready. All right. Uh, And we may do that to wrap up the show here in the next half hour. Stay with us. More of KSL Outdoors Radio coming up. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.